Welcome to the Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 26. My name is Philip Wells, and I will be your host for this episode. We begin today with the Canaan Bound Devotion with Pastor Tom Barthel. Slavery and Salvation Foretold Genesis 15, verses 13 to 16 Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace, and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Here is real and predictive prophecy. Yet these words were written by Moses. But still they were spoken, first spoken, hundreds of years earlier by God to Abram. You can be sure Abram passed on this message to his son, and his grandson also would have received this message. Israel was going to be enslaved in Egypt. It wasn't some accident or God dropping the ball. God knew it would occur. God was going to use that event to train and instruct his people. He would prepare them for that time of slavery when his word was now given, and his word was now given to get them through that time. He would help them endure as they had promises to cling to in faith. They knew they would one day come out of Egypt in victory. A great turnaround would take place as they went from being mistreated to having the wealth of Egypt on their shoulders, as they marched out to take their land, their possession of Canaan. When you are mistreated, when you suffer for being a Christian, you too know God hasn't lost control. He isn't sleeping while you see suffering in your life or suffering in other Christian congregations around the world and in other countries. Take comfort in knowing that God has a plan for history. He works even through the hardships and trials that we face. He has a plan that always and must end with his victory for us. Just as he planned prosperity and victory for Israel and Egypt, so he for you has a plan and for his church. Just as he wanted Israel to look forward to that and to cling to his promise, even though many would die never seeing it, he wants you to cling to his promise, even if you have to die never seeing it. But don't worry. You won't miss out. Those who die in Christ will certainly not miss out on that great day of victory. With Abram, you will see his promises fulfilled. He will raise us all to see it on the last day. Was God being unjust in giving Abram's descendants a land that already belonged to another people? The Amorites, along with all those who lived in the land of Canaan, were dealt with by God in great patience. From the time of Ham, who was cursed by his father Noah, to the time of Moses, several hundred years altogether, God was patient. He dealt with the Canaanites with great patience. But in the end, they would not escape the judgment of a holy God. The sins of the Amorites would reach a point where God would just say, as he did before with the great flood, Enough. And he will say it again, when all people will be judged. Enough. This world's sin has reached 
its end, and God will come, and he will judge the world. And as he comes, and when he comes to put an end to all this world and judge all people, we will escape that judgment, solely by his grace, by his mercy. And we will take possession of a promised new heaven and earth. And there, with all those who are born anew into God's kingdom through faith, we will live forever. Abraham's descendants, countless as the stars. Those who trust, those who believe the promises of God. In the meantime, it's a time of waiting for us too. All the church really parallels what Israel faced to some degree. There will be persecution and trials from now until the time when he comes to judge the world. Christians will be mistreated throughout the world until that day. But don't forget, he has promised an end to it all. He has promised a new home and rest. And now we listen to Faith Sees by the Camp Phillip Campfire Choir. Pour an ocean on the ground where my house used to be. Take me out into the field, do your words to me. Hide my baby in the river, trade my crowning for a sheep. Though the pains be sharp, though the price be steep, yet there it that for me a Savior did die. Listen to God's Word for You with Pastor Timothy Smith. Job 7, verses 11 to 21. Verse 11. Therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job's complaint here carries the weight of the first part of the chapter. He's asking for death, although he never denies nor keeps looking forward to the resurrection from the dead. But now the prayer, which has been bubbling quietly in the back of his mind, jumps out into the open. He can't keep quiet anymore. Verse 12, Am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under guard? As I hinted at one of the introductory devotions, the word day here, the Hebrew yom, 
is similar to the word for sea, which in Hebrew is yam. Now, since Job wants to talk to the kinds of folks who fool around with Leviathan, a sea monster that we're going to discuss later at length, we also see that Job is referring to the seemingly powerful magic of those who try to tame the terrifying sea. Um, uh, Dr. Beck uh, was a Lutheran pastor of a previous generation, and his American translation helps us see this with uh, uh, some capitalization that I'm going to kind of give you as I go along. Am I the C, the capital C, uh, capital S-C, or the capital S-C monster that you have set a guard over me? You see, Yam or C was in fact the name of a legendary sea monster to some Canaanite people, including the kingdom of Ugarit. In Ugaritic myths, Yam was a prince god who tried to usurp the throne of heaven but was killed in combat. The sea, however, is really subject to God alone, isn't it? Uh, Job will say later, Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? Sorry, that's not Job speaking, it's God talking, isn't it? He, uh, we have the proverb also, He gave the sea its boundary to the waters, so the waters would not overstep his command. Proverbs 8.29. Job might use the picture of the false Ugaritic god, but he's just making a reference to the pop culture of his time. Today he could have said, am I a Hollywood actor or am I Gollum or am I Brett Favre? So nobody trusts me anymore and you want to jail me? Verses 13 to 16. When I think my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, even then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I prefer strangling and death rather than this body of mine. I despise my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. Job already says that his nights are a waking nightmare in verse 4, but now he complains that even when he does get some sleep, his nights are filled with true nightmares too. Just as the, mytho- the mythological sea god Yam was struck down, Job would prefer strangling and death to bring an end to his pain. When he says, I would not live forever, we need to see his words in the context of the rest of the book. Job doesn't despise eternal life. He despises living as he is now, in pain and in agony. He would rather give up his misery today so that in the distant tomorrow of the resurrection, he could rise and live forever in peace. But Job will not raise his own hand against himself. Verses 17 to 19. What is man that you have made so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? Psalm 8 answers this question. What is man that you are mindful of him? David asks. The son of man that you care for him? The New Testament tells us that David's words were fulfilled perfectly in Christ. In Hebrews 2 verse 6, a human being can't stand up to God's scrutiny. So we thank God that Jesus Christ underwent God's scrutiny in our place. When Jesus was tested, the devil could not tempt him to sin. When Jesus was tested, the secular government and the Jewish government proclaimed him innocent. When Jesus was tested, other criminals recognized his innocence. When Jesus was tested, even the high priest proclaimed that he would die for the sins of the people, although that high priest was prophesying and didn't understand what he was saying when he said it. No one let Jesus alone, even for an instant, but he passed the test in our place. Verse 20. 
If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Uh, there's a footnote for this verse in many Bibles, and it deserves an explanation. The, in the NIV, a typical example, the note for have I become a burden to you is this. A few manuscripts of the Masoretic text, an ancient Hebrew tribal, scribal tradition, and the Septuagint, most manuscripts of the Masoretic text have, I have become a burden to myself. The Masoretic text is the basic Hebrew text copied since about the 10th century A.D., the 900s, and still in use today. The Septuagint is a translation of the Hebrew text into Greek made more than a thousand years before that in about 200 B.C. The ancient Hebrew scribal tradition is a note present in many manuscripts called a correction of the scribes, the Tikkunah Sofarim. A handful of passages in the Old Testament, including this verse, were altered slightly by scribes who felt that the language would be offensive if read in worship. So a change was made to soften the language, not change uh, 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 any, any doctrine, but to soften a hard verse. In this case, Job's question, have I become a burden to you, was felt to be too sarcastic or caustic. And so, alecha, to you, was changed to alai, myself. The change grammatically shifted the question to a statement. Such changes are rare, and as I stated above, there are only a handful in the entire Old Testament. There are no doctrines that would be changed or even bruised by any of these pencil corrections of the scribes. So let's go on to verse 21. Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. Finally, here Job ends his reply to Eliphaz with a tired gasp to God. Why don't you forgive me? This prayer is also at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we always forgive everyone who sins against us. God told the prophet to preach this message. Say to him, Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. That's Hosea 14.1. We don't want to be, we don't just want to be forgiven in the last moments of our lives so we can escape from hell's jaws and slip through heaven's tent flap. We want God's forgiveness right now so we can serve God and do his will all our lives. Forgive my sins. It's one of the finest prayers we can whisper. Through Jesus, we have that forgiveness. We keep sliding into the pews to hear it. We keep kneeling at the rail to eat and drink it. We keep saying the fifth petition to ask for it. And we keep opening our Bibles at home. You know what? Let's read Luther's simple explanation of the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look upon our sins or because of them deny our prayers. For we are worthy of none of the things for which we ask, neither have we deserved them. But we ask that he would give them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will forgive from the heart and gladly do good to those who sin against us. That's from Luther's Small Catechism. And in Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. Next up, we have Freedom in Christ with Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 1, 13-14 Misplaced Zeal 
For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. NIV 1984 Oh, to be zealous for Christ, to be what the gospel deserves. What can we give in return for the gracious promise of glory in heaven with our Savior? Is our treasure too much to expect? Is our family life? Is a life of love and devotion? Would our very blood be too much? A thousand times no, answers the believing heart. But then we look at the reality. We get more excited about a new house or fishing rod or computer game or whatever. Now look at what Paul says about his life before Christ. He persecuted the church intensely. He was extremely zealous. No Jew was more Jewish than Paul. Does the intensity of our zeal, does this determine whether we stand on the right side of the fence? There was intensity in the demonstrations of the 60s, in the burning of inner cities by those who lived there. There is intensity and zeal in the lust of a man who listens to popular music and determines that when the right one comes along, he had to go with his heart, even if marriages must break in two. In the religious realm, perhaps no one is more zealous than the cultist. Many have come and gone. There was the way, which was no way at all. There were the Moonies sitting in airports selling flowers for the Korean Messiah. There's a temple in Salt Lake City and the young man who go on a two-year mission for a false Christ. There are those folks who claim to be the very witnesses of Jehovah himself. All are zealous. Far more zealous Christians may confess than we are. False zeal, zeal for the falsehood, for a salvation does not exist. Satan is wholeheartedly in favor of it. The zealous sinner doesn't struggle with two competing views. In fact, he or she may wake up each morning eager to promote a God who only leads to damnation. Paul had such zeal. In Romans 7, he teaches how divided his heart is now that he is a follower of the truth, of the Messiah known as Jesus of Nazareth. He wants to do good but finds evil always present. That is a great comfort to a struggling saint like me, like you. Paul brings up the false zeal of his former life to demonstrate that his faith and calling did not come from men, not from people. Paul is the believer he is, and the apostle God has made him purely by the work of God the Holy Spirit. This is important in Galatians for the purpose of showing where his gospel comes from. It is still important today. Paul was God's child, and Christians are God's children today, only by the gracious work of God. God paid the price on the cross. God came into our hearts formerly zealous for anything but the truth. God called called Paul and he calls us to faith in Jesus. And God inspired every word of Paul's many letters in the New Testament. On those days, at those many times when we confess, even with tears, that we are not nearly as zealous as those who promote a false god, Let us be thankful that our place in heaven is not secured by our zeal, but by the zeal of the one who set his face towards Jerusalem, towards the beating and the mocking the cross. The zeal of Jesus saves. The power for our zeal is this one who rose on the third day, who appeared to Paul, and who sends the Spirit to begin and to encourage our faith. 
do not be so quick to admire misplaced zeal. The weakest, weakest struggling saint is filled with far more glory and godliness than all the holy ones of all the false gods, the idols of this and every age. For by faith we possess the glory of Christ. We end today with Now the Day is Over by the Branches Band. have been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 26. This podcast was first shared in June of 2013. Visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com to learn how you can support the ministry of Wells and the artists featured here on this podcast. Once again, my name is Philip Wells. It was a privilege to be your host for this episode. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a ministry location near you. Thank you for listening, and may God bless your week.